Good evening, it's time for Golden Beer Talks again. It's lovely to see everyone. It's time for spring as well. Usually it's dark when this starts. So this is one of our first, let's start in the daylight. I'm first gonna introduce our beer ambassador, Frank Blaha. He's gonna come up and talk about our featured beer and probably some other interesting information because that's what he does. Come on up, Frank. All right, well, hello. I'm Frank Blaha with Golden Beer Talks. And the program here is every month we're rotating through the small breweries and at least Golden, and maybe we'll go further afield, but we've already got uh, a number of uh, craft breweries in Golden, so we have a pretty good selection of beer, and they always have rotating stock. And so this month we are featuring Mountain Toad Brewing Company, which is just up the road. Actually, all of these breweries are just a few blocks away from here. But Mountain Toad's just up the road here a little bit to the north at 900 Washington Street or Washington Avenue. And they opened not quite a year ago, I would say, if, if memory serves. And tonight we've got their Pandan Porter for your sampling pleasure and their Lemongrass Saison. And um, what I'd like to say, the Lemongrass Saison, it's a little bit lighter ale. You know, the Porter's a very dark beer. I thought it was a very tasty beer compared with uh, their stout and other stuff that was on tap there. I do, you know, I, I take my job seriously, so I go and I sample the beers. I've pretty much been there every day since last Tuesday. Um, okay, so a Saison, which is our lighter beer, that's the more unusual beer. The Porter's a heavy, dark beer. And the Saison is considered a farmhouse ale, a sturdy ale. It always seems to be called a sturdy ale, typically brewed in the winter for summer consumption, seem to be very popular in France and Belgium, and that's the lemongrass Saison. And their, their uh, Saison has got a touch of lemongrass that was added to the brew to give it a little bit of complexity. And with that, Whitney. Our speaker tonight is a local beekeeper. She's been keeping bees for six years in partnership with the beekeeper who's been keeping bees for 16 years. So they both know a lot about bees and all surrounding topics. I will also say that Mia Sullivan is one of the most nurturing people that I have known in my lifetime. And I do think that that's something special she brings, apart and aside from the intellectual aspect of this. And I think you'll get that when you hear her talk about how much she cares about what she's doing. Mia Sullivan. So, hi, thank you, Whitney. That was very thoughtful of you. Um, my name is Mia Sullivan. I am a beekeeper. Um, and I have been asked to come here tonight to speak about two subjects that I find very fascinating and, and wonderful, both beekeeping and honey. And so thank you for having me here tonight. Uh, I want to just let you know if you guys are looking for a deep scientific discourse on on, on bees and, and their, their, their species and genus, that's not going to be too. One of the things I find really interesting that didn't even occur to me until I was a beekeeper was that honeybees are the only insect that provide or produce food eaten by man. Um, honeybees visit 50 to 100 flowers per collection trip. That means they leave the hive and before they come back, they have visited up to 100 flowers, maybe more, on their pollen and nectar gathering trip. Um, to make a pound of honey, bees must collect nectar from about 2 million flowers. 
So when you think you're going to throw away that leftover honey in your jar, you might want to think twice about what the bees have gone through to get you that last teaspoon, and you might savor it a little bit longer. Um, one thing that is incredible that I found about bees is that a beehive, the bees create a comb out of wax. And they use only about one and a half ounces of comb to hold about four pounds of honey. So I would like to explore that a little bit more because not only have bees and bee-type insects designed one of the most uh, incredible structures in nature, they use the least amount of product for the most amount uh, to hold to storage space. And the walls of a honeycomb, I'm getting too close to this, the walls of a honeycomb, they precisely meet at 120 angles, or 120 degree angle. So it's an incredible feat of architecture that these bees just instinctually make. Um, they top that though because they take their honeycomb and to keep the honey from dripping out of it, they angle it up by 13 degrees and this keeps the honey from dripping out. <laughs> so it's pretty incredible what they do and they certainly didn't need man to do it. Um, another thing that, to remember is that each bee may only make up to one and a half teaspoons of honey in her lifetime. So it takes a lot of bees to make your pound of honey, your jar of honey that you're gathering. Um, and uh, the queen bee, although she may live up to five years, the worker bees, they work so hard that, especially in the summertime when they're working longer and harder, uh, they may live up only to about three weeks. So they have a very short lifespan. So they're going through quite a... Quite, quite a number of learning curves because they'll have they'll, they may have a number of different jobs throughout that three weeks of their lifetime. So what they can do is uh, busy as a bee is very much um, an understatement. <laughs> so um, one thing I like to point out <laughs> is can you tell the difference between a wasp and a bee? I don't know how many times um, we've been you hear I, I was stung by a bee. I was stung by a bee. Well, that might have happened, but very often it was most likely a wasp. Um, you'll see you can see here that wasps have a thinner body. Bees are a little bit more like a teddy bear. They're a little plumper in comparison. Um, they are uh, be, wasps are more aggressive, where bees are generally more mild mannered. Wasps, and I, and I, when I say wasp, I also include yellow jackets in in that description there in the wasp family. Um, wasps are interested, maybe would be interested in your food or your garbage. If you're at a picnic and something's flying around your soda can or the garbage can, it's not a bee. It's most likely it's going to be a wasp or a yellow jacket. Bees, honeybees, are very focused in their in their. Uh, in their desire to gather their pollen and their nectar. So they, have, they could care less about what you're eating and they are far less likely to sting you. Um, bees will sting, if it's, but it's at a last resort. Um, they, in addition, a bee will often try and communicate to you prior to stinging you that your presence is upsetting them. So they will, if, if you're in their flight pattern or if you're gardening and you're around some flowers that they really want to get at and they're trying to harvest pollen or nectar from those flowers, they do several things. 
they will make their, they can change the, the uh, audibility of their wings. So you will hear them buzzing. So you, bees can fly silently, but when you hear them buzzing, they're kind of saying, hey, I'm in this area too. You can work it unless you're really in my area. Um, they'll also kind of swoop down at you, uh, kind of let you know that they're here, uh, and that if they start swooping at you, you might want to take that warning a little more seriously. Um, <laughs> And even more serious, they will fly into you. Like, they'll hit your hand or they'll fly into your forehead. They do this on purpose because the last thing they want to do is sting you because they can only sting you once. And then they die. And there is an awareness, I believe, uh, of the bees that know that they will die after the sting. Um, so they do try and make it. And they, and they usually will not get extremely aggressive unless you're actually at their home and, and invading. And they, see, they perceive a threat of their larvae or their home. Wasps, on the other hand, they're much more aggressive. Um, they, I don't know that they give those warnings. I've never gotten a warning. <laughs> um, and they have the ability to sting multiple times. So uh, they'll be much more aggressive. Um, so those are some differences between a wasp and a bee, and I have one more slide to present that. Here's another one. You know, here's a bee carrying pollen. This is a wasp. They can look similar, especially if you get a little bit nervous. Um, but uh, if you get used to it, if you, get, if you familiarize yourself with it, I think that um, more and more you'll realize that it's probably not uh, a bee stinging you. And also, wasps often, um, yellow jackets, they, they nest in the ground. Certain bee types will nest in the ground, but most of the ones that we know, honeybees especially, they nest up somewhere up higher so that their, their honey is safe. So... Um, in the fall, in the summertime, I'm sorry, yes? <laughs> okay. Uh, wasps become much more aggressive in the, in the summer, in the late summer and early fall because their food source is very limited. Um, it's becoming more limited. They go for protein sources. You might see them um, eating a worm. I've seen them eating, you know, they, they eat bugs and so forth. Um, uh, they also will kill bees. Um, so uh, they have very different behavior patterns than, than bees. All right, Barb, thank you. All right, so let's, kinda, let's go inside the hive. Um, inside the hive, you will find a queen. I think I brought a little pointer here at my son's suggestion. This is a queen bee. You'll see she is longer um, than the other bees. Uh, her wings, comparatively, are shorter. It may be just a, a visual perception, but they are shorter based on compared to her body. Um, worker bee, these are the girls that do all the work. And this in the middle here, this little plumper, bigger, stouter bee is a drone. Um, you'll find one queen in a hive. Uh, you'll find a couple hundred drones, those are the males. And you'll find uh, a number of thousand of, bee, of worker bees. Um, a healthy hive, um, usually ranges between 20 and 60,000 bees. Uh, work, most of those will be worker bees. Um, the queen bee, she is, uh, her job is to lay eggs and to direct, overall direct the, the efficiency um, uh, and the running of the hive. Um, in a healthy hive, you'll also have many overlapping generations of, of worker bees and, and other bees other than the queen. 
Um, the drones, their only purpose in a hive, they are the males, their only purpose is to mate with a new queen. So um, the hive is a matriarchal society in the insect world, and when the drones are not needed, they are discarded. So, um, <laughs> and... <laughs> It's unfortunate, but they are, they will, for example, in the, in the late fall or, or, or early winter, if the, if the hive is, if the colony is realizing they may not have enough food stores for the winter, they escort the drones out because that's another mouth to feed um, that aren't, isn't really doing any work. So um, the worker bees, however, um, they divvy up their work dependent on age uh, in the hive and numbers and, and tasks needed. Uh, younger worker bees will um, they tend to the queen and they tend to the babies they're nurser they're nurse bees uh, older worker bees will do any number um, of tasks throughout their lifetime could be foraging for food um, could be foraging for water scouting out a new home if they're going to swarm um, could be uh, filling these the the combs with honey fanning the honey creating the comb, it, there's so many tasks needed that the worker bees may fill out um, several of those tasks throughout their lifetime. Um, and I wanted to show you another comparison. This is a queen bee right here, and she's surrounded by a number of her daughters right here, the worker bees, and that kind of shows you an example of, of the difference. And so they're, they're, these bees right here, what this picture made, I have no idea what they're actually doing, but this, you might see the queen bee is looking for an empty cell to lay an egg, and once she does that, the, the worker bees will go around and they'll tend to that egg and, and get it all, and continue to prepare that cell. And they, she'll drop an egg, they, they take care of it. So they follow her around uh, as she lays eggs in the cell. Um, all right, so that's inside the hive. All right, so let's talk about what did bees need to live, their nutrition. Proteins, carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals, fats, water. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's basically all of the elements of nutrition that we as humans need. Where do they get this? Well, the source of nutrition for bees, flowers. Um, pollen is gathered from flowers. This is the main source of protein for, food, for bees. Um, it also provides to them vitamins and minerals and some fats. Uh, they will go out, collect the pollen from flowers, and they bring that pollen back. You'll see they, they carry, they have, little, they have little structures on, the back, on their back legs, their two back legs, and it's kind of like saddlebags, and they'll carry, um, ball, they'll gather enough pollen that it looks ends up looking like a little sack of pollen. They'll carry that pollen back to the hive and they'll transfer that. The worker bees will take that pollen from them and they will add an enzyme to that pollen. And the enzyme, um, they make it what's often termed as a bee bread. This is their bread. Um, they take that, they, they, they Add an enzyme from their uh, from some from their glands that will um, breaks down. Uh, not only does it make the pollen more ex uh, accessible to them nutritionally, but it will also help um, 
protect that pollen from bacteria and prepare it for long-term storage. Pollen is not stored for nearly as long as honey. It's used up pretty quickly. It's one of their first food sources that they use. And pollen, um, it's, it's vital for their, for their brood to have that pollen source, that protein, those vitamins and minerals. Um, so the pollen the bees gather is, um, well, the only, it's, it's, it's extremely important for them, the pollen. And pollen is also the most um, nutritionally variable. Different plants may have different values of the nutrients needed uh, from that pollen. So if a, a flower isn't as viable in, in certain nutrients, the bee doesn't get all the nutrients they need. Um, so the next thing they need is the nectar from the, from the plants, from the flowers. The nectar, just like for us, it's, it's their go juice. Um, they gather this nectar. They, uh, they have a straw-like um, tongue, and they, they drink that nectar in. They have, bees have two stomachs. They have a honey stomach and they have a regular stomach. They, they, so they bring in that, they harvest that nectar from the flowers, and they bring, it, they bring that back to the hive. They transfer that to the worker bees, where those worker bees will take that. Once again, they will add enzymes to it. Um, the enzymes break down the, that sugar water that they get from, the, from the, the nectar from the flowers into simple sugars of glucose and fructose. So it makes it very accessible for them for energy um, so that they can fly and, and just do all perform all the tasks of their, um, that are needed during the day. Um, they also, enzymes in that saliva also um, help prevent bacterial growth in the nectar as well. So they, those worker bees will take that nectar and they, they convert it into honey. Then they put that liquid into the honeycomb cells. Um, but there's a lot of water in the, honeycomb, in the honey right now. So what they will do is allow that to evaporate. And they also help the evaporation process by fanning the open cells of honey. And I think if I have a, I think I might have a slide, the next one that shows some. Oops, no, that's the water. Um, but they um, they will fan the honey, and they will let that water evaporate from the honey until there's only about 20% um, water left. When they find that it's it's thick enough and it's dry enough, then they'll put a little they'll put a wax cap over it, and then that's their storage of that's that's the little storage container of of that cell of honey. The last thing that that bees need, it's crucial to them, is water. They'll get that from uh, just about any source that they can, whether it's from your bird feeder, a leaky hose, a stream, um, a pond. They'll find they need to have water uh, in there to survive as well. So I think now the next slide will have an example of some uh, this this right here shows some honeycomb or some comb with some pollen stores in it. And here there are some open combs of honey. Right here you, you can look closely you can see a little larva in there in those comb as well. Alright so I hate to break it to you, but bees aren't making the honey for us. <laughs> They're making it for themselves. We steal it from them, and um, we're much obliged. Uh, Americans alone, we eat approximately 285 million pounds of honey a year. That's in the, in the U.S. alone. 
Um, there are over 300 unique types of honey in the U.S. alone. And the color and flavor of honey, as many of you may have experienced already, will be dependent upon um, the flowers that the bees gather that nectar from. Um, let's see. Other things that we get from bees uh, are the beeswax, candles and so forth. We use them in, in beauty aids and beauty products. Propolis, um, which is a sticky, gooey, it's kind of a caulk-like um, substance that bees create and they seal their hives for they weatherproof their hives with propolis uh we consume their pollen their royal jelly basically anything that the bee makes we seem to find a use for um uh, apotherapy is becoming a, a newly explored a more recently explored therapy where people are using for example um, bee stings as a therapy for rheumatoid arthritis so um People are, are finding new and uh, incredible ways to um, steal from the bees <laughs> uh, at every turn. Um, but, okay, so I've talked a little bit about what the, the nutrition the bee gets from honey. Uh, now we can talk a little bit about what the nutrition we get from honey. So I think the next one. Um, on a human scale, I'd love to say that honey is the... Um, is the perfect food for humans as well. However, uh, on, it, it, it does rank a little bit better than um, white sugar or processed sugar, um, but you would have to eat incredible amounts of honey to get um, uh, appreciable uh, nutritive value from it. For example, uh, a cup of honey, um, I think I've made a note here, you you get 2% from a cup of honey, 2% of calcium and 8% of your daily iron needs met from an entire cup of honey. So um, it does, it does surpa surpass some sweeteners in that it does have some, um, some vitamins and minerals, proteins and so forth, but they are trace amounts. So um, uh, you don't want to overdo it <laughs> on the honey as well as you wouldn't want to overdo it on any other sweetener. Um, one thing that is, is uh, a benefit of honey is that it is a simple sugar. It is, it is made up of the two simple sugars, glucose and fructose. So as it is readily available for the bees, they've also made it readily, more readily available for us than a more complex sugar. So we can process it faster um, than we can more complex sugars. Um, you'll feel that little boost a little bit more. If you're an athlete and you put it in your water or your energy drink, you'll feel it. <laughs> your body doesn't have to go through as much to, uh, to have that accessible. Um, there are, are many other health benefits that, that people tout. Um, there's no hard, there's not a lot of hard scientific data to support um, all of the various benefits that people tout, but there's quite a lot of anecdotal um, information and healers throughout the centuries have used uh, honey for um, many things, anywhere, anything from hot flashes and PMS to, um, to uh, some people think it's uh, some certain types of honey will help uh, suppress cancer. Um, we don't have scientific data on that yet, um, but that has been shown to be beneficial for wound, uh, heal, healing wounds helping to heal burns, things like that. So um, I, would, I would ask that you um, 
proceed with caution <laughs> with, with, uh, with touting it as the perfect uh, food for humans, but it is the perfect food for, for bees. Um, Another, one other caveat I would like to make about honey that I've talked about with some friends as I've become uh, more knowledgeable in my experiences as being a beekeeper, I've also realized that um, not all the honey that we have on our shelves is actually honey. Um, some of it is um, sugar, water, um, uh, corn syrups, rice syrups, watered-down versions, um, uh, ultra-filtrated um, honey that may have started out as honey but it goes through a process of filtration that takes out all the pollen which uh, pollen is the honey's fingerprint um, you can't see it in honey you can't taste it it's microscopic um, but it does it can if someone if a scientist were to look at that honey under a microscope um, and do some tests on it they could detect where that honey was from they could tell you the region where that honey was from when you take the fingerprint away when you filtrate it to the point where it has no no longer has honey it could be from anywhere so um, I would encourage you if you want to make sure you're getting honey or better ensure that you're getting honey local farmers um, the organic honeys in our main food stores the bigger food stores like Whole Foods and so forth um, tests have shown that the organic honeys um, are more likely to have that pollen in there and be more likely from a, a natural source and not man-made so I would like to caution you about that um, honey is an incredible product that we get from bees but um, it's actually not the most important aspect of our relationship with bees. Even more importantly than the honey we get from them is the pollination services that we get from them. Um, if you'll change the next slide. Um, honeybees have an incredible effect on the, on, on the U.S. agricultural alone, but worldwide they have an incredible effect on uh, our agriculture. Um, U.S. Department estimates bees pollinate about 80% of the country's uh, crops um, that are pollinated. Now, not all of those are honeybees, um, but uh, a bee, uh, an insect in the bee family. They could be leafcutter bees. Alfalfa, I think, is, is, is more highly pollinated by leafcutter bees than honeybees. Um, One-third of all the vegetables and fruits produced are pollinated by honeybees, in part or exclusively. Um, and there are, de there are estimates that uh, 50, 50 to 80% of the world's food supply are directly um, affected by uh, pollination of bees. This may not be something we eat directly, but it may be some, a grain food that our livestock eats. So they, uh, the pollination of bees um, has a massive effect uh, would have a massive effect, or does have a massive effect on um, on our on the world food supply. Um, without bees, they do pollinate some of our foods directly or exclusively, such as almonds. Um, you've probably heard some of the stories about the almond um, pollination about every year. Um, so. Uh, there are some fruits and vegetables and seeds that are exclusively uh, pollinated by bees. And I've put together a list of on um, the next few slides just to show um, these, and there are two slides worth, but these are foods um, that are directly or uh, exclusively or 
partially um, pollinated by honeybees. I think that there are over 130 uh, food crops that are pollinated by the entire bee family. Exciting, not just for the wonderful honey we get for them, but how they are, how important they are for our entire survival ourselves. So. Starting the Q&A, right now. Yay, Q&A. Who has the first question? Bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. They will make a larger cell. Um, the the queen, they, when a, when a hive is is needing, it's it's become um, uh, more successful than they can contain. They will start, or 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 it's becoming an underproducing hive. The worker bees will decide to uh, create queens, and so the queen cell is a little bit larger because it it. Um, uh, the queen is different because they're feeding it a slightly different formula of, of um, food, and it has different properties that. Um, so they actually they can t they can choose to feed uh, five different larvae this royal jelly. That's where it gets the name royal jelly because they only feed it to certain uh, cells of larvae, and those cells that are fed this particular combination of nutrients um, uh, are. Uh, raised to or, or develop into potential queens, and their cell is a little bit larger, but it's but mostly you will if you look into a, um, a frame, it's going to be perfect cloning of cell after cell after cell, perfect form. Yes, sir. <laughs> this is a friend of mine, so I'm afraid of his question. <laughs> can, you, can you explain swarming? I can, why? Why? Okay. Um, as I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, if if a, if a hive is so successful um, that they're getting crowded, overcrowded, um, the current queen um, will uh, the the worker bees will um, create uh, a number of potential queen bees, and um, then the current queen will take couple of thousand of her daughters and they will leave the hive it's too crowded so what's left in the hive in the old hive is a um, new queen and um, what will be uh, some of the remnant daughters of the old queen and what will become the new uh, worker bees from the new queen so the swarm happens when a, a hive is getting overcrowded the um, current queen takes a couple thousand of her daughters, and they go look for a new place to live and set up shop. Um, is that does that yeah, fulfill? They travel you know, it, it, they could travel. They they travel until they find another viable home. It could be the next. It could be the yard next door. It could be the tree next door. I mean, they don't want. I think that the you know. Um, it, it depends if, if a, it, uh, some of the worker bees in that swarm will go out and scout while the bee, uh, the queen bee rests on a branch, for example, they will have scouter bee, scout bees go look for what uh, they think is a good home. And then they'll come back to the swarm and say, hey, I think I've got a good place for us. And then the swarm moves to that location. And if it's uh, suitable for them, then they'll move into that. And it doesn't... Um, it, it can be very close by, or it might be uh, a mile away or so. Who do you recommend people call to 
perfect for the people. Yeah, um, I think that there's there's not uh, there's still not a, suc uh, a succinct hotline for swarms, um, <laughs> but. Uh, Right. Uh, beekeeping associations often keep lists of bees. You can call me and Carl. We'd love to get your swarms. Um, uh, I, we ask that you not call exterminators first. Um, bee associations m w would prob probably be a good resource for beekeepers that are collecting swarms. Um, uh, county uh, extension offices uh, are another good resource. Um, and yeah, I'd say the beekeeping association would probably, if they don't have a list of people, they could probably direct you to people that um, would be good resources. Thank you for that question. Yes? When, when you keep bees uh, commercially or residentially, um, you have uh, uh, boxes, the beehives that you've seen, the, the boxes. And Usually the lower two are your uh, hive bodies, and um, what you steal from are what's called the they're smaller, shorter boxes where you've put a, uh, a little piece of a grating, basically, that keeps the queen from going up into those boxes because you don't want larvae being placed in the honey in the honeycomb that you're wanting to steal from them. So that little grating mechanism, that little piece of grating of... Uh, uh, keeps the queen from laying eggs up there, and so you, we take, um, we give them these boxes, these shorter boxes. They fill, 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 and then when it comes to harvest time, we just take those those top boxes, and that doesn't take all of their honey. Hopefully, in those bottom two boxes, um, they have enough stores to help them survive the winter. Thank you. Yes, Frank. And so from a typical hive, how much honey would you be able to harvest in a year? How much would they make? Um, well, it depends. A newly established hive, you might, if you're a new beekeeper, you may not get any their first year. They're establishing, you know, the, the queen is getting, you know, getting her footing and um, the bees are getting used to their new environment or, the, you know, um, an established hive, um, if they have a good year, we've gotten uh, 90 pounds from one hive. Um, yeah, which is a lot. And that's what we're stealing from them. So they still have hopefully, a, you know, um, uh, quite a lot underneath in those two bodies. So it really depends um, on a number of factors. If, if, this, if the colony is not a productive colony, they may not gather. I mean, colonies have personalities. Um, daily <laughs> um, as a group they have a daily personality there's times when Carl and I we will walk up to the hive sweaty and stinky and all the rules not adhered to of when you're supposed to approach a hive no bee suits and we open it up and they're just calm and they couldn't care less that we're there other times you open up the lid you're like oh they don't want to be disturbed today we'll just leave um, <laughs> So they have the hive as a whole, has, the colony as a whole has a personality, um, and some are more productive, some are lazier. So, and that is, that it's top-down leadership. <laughs> so uh, it's dictated by the queen. And, and you know, it, uh, worker bees, they, they want to be productive, and if their queen isn't productive, they'll make a new one and, and kill her, you know? So it's a very efficient and effective society. Yeah. But it's for the survival of the species, so. 
She better get to laying. <laughs> I, I would like to mention that the Denver Urban Homesteading School down in South Santa Fe has classes in setting up beekeeping. They have equipment there. They have mentors. If you were interested in starting your own hive, that would be a great resource. Denver Urban, Urban Homesteading School. Google it. Excellent information, and that's um, not only that organization, but uh, I think beekeepers as a as a as a whole uh, are very approachable. We want to we want more. The more beekeepers, the better. It is not a proprietal uh, um, endeavor. So if you are interested, uh, you'd be more than welcome at the beekeeping association meetings. Go ahead and attend them, whether you in, intend to keep bees, you're just vaguely interested. Um, Look them up online. Uh, there's several local here in the county in the greater Denver area. There, there's so many resources um, here locally online. So I would um, definitely encourage you to uh, explore uh, those those resources. Next month is uh, the 13th of May is the second Tuesday, and our speaker is a cowboy poet who's visiting us in full regalia. There will be cowboy boots and hats. Wear yours as few wish. We'll see you next month.